The following audio is from Jacobswell Church. For more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. And at the Welcome Center, if you'd like to sign up uh, your, your child, you can do that. Also, uh, there's, there's a volunteer registration form on the other side. Uh, if, you, if you were not here last week, there's a lot of opportunities to serve. Uh, even if you can't be here, VBS Week, and there's setup, there's takedown. And also, we have flyers and door hangers to put on the neighborhoods around to let people know about it. And so if you like to walk, uh, you can sign up for that as well. Put that in the offering basket, and we will be in contact with you. Let's open in prayer. Lord, we come this morning again reminded that you are our great help in times of need, Lord. And when we are honest, we are in need almost all the time. Like children, we are need machines, and yet you are always there to care for us and to love us and to strengthen us for the mission that you have called us to, God. Lord, as we turn to your word today, remind us of what you have called us to, God. Remind us that we are not called to a life of of comfort, a life of ease, a life of self-indulgence, but a life with great purpose and great mission for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, yesterday we had our spring cleaning day, and so thanks to all who came out. We got a lot done. Um, If you notice on your chairs, there's no longer any wax from Christmas on them. Uh, An iron and a paper bag can get them out. Uh, We took down the snow fence out here, put that away. We, We stained the playground so kids don't go on the playground or else we'll also be staining your pants. So, so don't go on that. We stained the playground. We put up some, some safety cameras for the children's hallway and the atrium. Uh, we painted the main office area. We built a bigger step down here. And so we got a lot done. And so thank you to those who came and served. But the other aspect of this, there is still a long way to go. Um, we still have to carpet the step. We still have to paint Pastor Chad's office and my office. We still have to put in a basketball hoop down below. We still need to put a cross out front. That's pretty important. We still have to put steps up from the lower lot to the upper lot. You see, having a church building is an unfinished project. It's a task that is unfinished. It's perpetual. Even if we cross all these things off our list, there would be more things to do. Again, moms, I'm sure you understand what it's like to have a perpetually unfinished task. I know that... The responsibilities in the household differ from house to house, but in, in my own house, I, I, can, I can understand and empathize with my wife who, who grieves over the unending pile of laundry and the, the, non, the non-ending need to cook more food for the children. It is a task that is, that is largely unfinished, and even if you have grown children to be their emotional support and even financial support and even to be babysitting support for them. A mother's job is never done. It's never complete. It just continues on. It is a task that is unfinished. In a very similar way, Jesus gives his church a task. He gives them a mission, a mission that would not be completed this side of heaven. In Matthew 28, Jesus and his great commission says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you, the church, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all the things that I have commanded you. 
And so this is our unfinished business. This is, this is the task that is unfinished to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey all that the Lord has commanded. Now, don't get me wrong as we think about a work day and the things we got accomplished, we can celebrate those and rejoice in those. And, and moms, when you see little nuggets of growth in your children, we can celebrate that. And even as we see the kingdom going forth, we can, we can rejoice in what God is doing. And yet, it is a task that is largely unfinished. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. If you would please open up in your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. Uh, in front of you, if you don't have a Bible, there's a red Bible. It's page 927 in the Red Bible. If you don't own a Bible, please take that as a gift from us. We love to give Bibles away. Last week, we read about the completion of Paul's second missionary journey. In his first missionary journey, he was sent out by the church of Antioch and Poseidon, and he goes on this missionary journey and he plants churches. His second missionary journey, he goes back and visits these churches to encourage them. And then here today, in Paul's third missionary journey, he again sets off from Antioch of uh, of, of uh, Syria and goes back through these churches that he has planted. And so just to introduce the text, let's, let's start in verse 23. It says, after spending some time there, that is Paul spending time in Antioch, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. And so again, if we look at a map here and we see where Paul has gone, so this is a map of Paul's third missionary journey. He starts in Antioch, the same place he started at his first two. And he goes through Galatia and Phrygia. And he goes to the churches in Derbe and Lystra and Iconium and Antioch of Poseidon. And what he's doing is he's going back through the churches to teach them to obey all the things the Lord has commanded, just like the Great Commission tells him to do. And so he is continuing this unfinished task not just witnessing to all the nations, but discipling all the nations. Now, how does this apply to us? How does the Great Commission, this, this task that our Savior has given to us, how does this apply to us? Well, there are, there are many ways, but we're going to just look at a few today. One is to, to face unfinished teachers. The second that we'll see today is to face unfinished belief structures in people's lives. And the third is to face an unfinished mission together. The first facing an unfinished teacher. Let's look at verse 24. It says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been entrusted in the way of the Lord. Excuse me, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of of John. Apollos is a teacher that we hear a handful of times throughout the New Testament, about a dozen different verses referred to him. But in this passage, we learn a couple very interesting and very important details about Apollos. The first thing we learn is that Apollos is a Jew, which means that he has credibility with the Jews throughout the world. We also learn that Apollos is from Alexandria. And so if we go back to the map, we can see Alexandria is way down here in Egypt. Now, Alexandria very much like, like Athens is up here, was one of the intellectual capitals of the world. It actually had a famous library known throughout the entire world. And there were many philosophers there in that time, in turning, in, including Philo, uh, who maybe 
uh, Apollos had interacted with potentially. And so Apollos is from Alexandria. We also learned that Apollos came to Ephesus. Apollos comes to Ephesus after Paul has, after Paul had, if you remember, excuse me, pick up, Paul had come on his second missionary journey to Ephesus. He had preached the gospel. They had asked him to stay. He said he couldn't, and so he continued on with his journey. And so God provides Apollos to come and to continue the teaching that Paul had begun. The fourth thing we learn is that Apollos is an eloquent man. This would have been one of the prized characteristics of a person in that age. An eloquent person would have been an influential person. They would have been able to speak in such a way to persuade people. You know, there are people like that today. People who've been like that in our, our modern history, like Billy Graham and, and Tim Keller and Matt Chandler. This, Apollos would have been the guy you would have wanted to come and preach at your church or the guy you would have come and preach at a conference. He was an eloquent man. The fifth thing we see is that Apollos was competent in the Scriptures and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And so he had a good knowledge of the Old Testament. Maybe he had a master's of divinity, a seminary education, maybe, maybe uh, a PhD, but, but the scriptures were something that he was well informed with. And they were not just head knowledge, they were heart knowledge. They penetrated deep within him. He applied them to his life. And then the final thing, the sixth thing that we see is that Apollos taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, but only knew the baptism of John. Now this last this last characteristic of Apollos is one that commentators love to discuss what exactly it means. But somewhere, some way, maybe Apollos was a disciple of John the Baptist. And he had learned from John the Baptist that the Messiah was coming. And maybe he'd actually seen Jesus preach and teach some, but then went back to Egypt, to Alexandria at some point. Or maybe he stayed longer. Maybe, maybe he was there for Jesus' death and resurrection. But before Jesus ascended into heaven and gave the great commission, and before Pentecost, again, he had gone back to Egypt and to Alexandria, and he did not know Christ's command to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he only knew the baptism that John commanded. But whatever it is, we see that, that Apollos was a man who was a follower of Jesus, a faithful follower of Jesus but was an unfinished man. He was an unfinished teacher, an unfinished follower of Jesus who was unaware of something extremely significant, which is Christian baptism. And so we continue and we read in verse 26. It says, He, Apollos, began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, if you remember from last week, Aquila and Priscilla were a couple that were in Corinth. They were tent makers. And so when Paul came to Corinth, he went to Apollos, I'm sorry, he went to Aquila and Priscilla, and he asked them if he could join their business, and then he discipled them for 18 months. And during that 18 months, they became believers, and not only believers in Jesus Christ, but also leaders in the church. And so when Paul takes off from Corinth, and he goes through Ephesus, Aquila and Priscilla come with him, and they're intending to go all the way to Syria with him. But because Paul can only stay in Ephesus for a little bit of time, and because the new Christians are asking him to stay and to teach more, but he can't, he leaves Aquila and Priscilla with them in Ephesus. And so there they are, they're in Ephesus, and they are this godly couple that are not vocational ministers. They, they've never had a seminary education, and yet they are faithful to serve. We read in other parts of the Bible that they open up their house to have church in their house. In Romans 16, 
Paul says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. You know, many of you here today are Aquilas and Priscillas. You don't have a formal seminary education. You don't get paid to, to be a vocational minister like I do or like Pastor Chad does. But you love Jesus. And you love the great commission that God has called you to. And you open your house as a ministry. And you serve the church. And you engage others about their faith. This is who Aquila and Priscilla were. And they were great role models. And one of the things that we see Aquila and Priscilla do that maybe we are uncomfortable with is challenging an unfinished teacher. You see, Aquila and Priscilla challenged Apollos. Now this, I'm assuming, would have been a very intimidating thing. Apollos was well-educated, right? Uh, He was a good speaker. He was persuasive, so maybe he was scary to approach, but they decided that they would approach him because he only knew the baptism of John. Now I think it's really important to see here that their first action was not to post something on Facebook or on Twitter, or to warn their friends or their community group, don't go listen to this guy, Apollos. Their very first action was to take him aside and to teach him, to explain to him the way of God more accurately. Verse 27 continues, and we see the result of their interaction, their confrontation with him, their loving and generous and gracious confrontation. Verse 27 says, And when he wished to cross to Achaia, probably to Corinth, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And so what do we see here? We see the brothers in Ephesus, Aquila and Priscilla, writing letters of recommendation back to the region of Achaia where where the city of Corinth was and saying, receive this brother. He is a good brother. He is a good teacher. Take him in. Listen to him. What this tells us is is that Apollos was listening to the words of Aquila and Priscilla, that he received them warmly, that he was teachable, and that because of it, it affected not only his own heart, but it affected his ministry, because he had received their gentle correction, humbly learning from them. He was able to help the believers in Achaia. He was able to refute the Jews and show from scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Now, what do we learn from this first segment of passage? Well, we learned that teachers, no matter how many degrees they have are unfinished teachers. They're unfinished in their learning of God. And they all need accountability. They all need Aquilas and Priscillas to gently and humbly and lovingly get them back on course for their sake and for the sake of their ministry. At Jakeswell Church, we have five membership vows that we ask people to take. And in the fifth membership vow, we ask the people, do you promise to promote the peace and purity of the church? 
And we talk about, when we talk about promoting the purity of the church, yes, we were talking about the moral purity because it guards our witness to the world, but it's more than that. It is also prom- promising to promote the doctrinal purity of the church. And so in membership class, either Pastor Chad or I will walk through this scenario. And we'll say, okay, if you hear, if you hear me or Pastor Chad teaching the binity, right, that there's only two people in the Trinity, or that's the binity, right, the God had only two, only, only Father and Son. If you hear us saying it, what should you do in that situation? What should you do? Stone them. There we go. Oh, man, I'd be dead by now if that were the case. But, 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 you know, what do we typically do? What do we typically do? We run away, right? We run away. But by taking this vow to pursue the doctrinal purity of the church, do you have the opportunity or obligation to confront it? And the answer, of course, is both. You have the opportunity, but it's also your obligation. So if you're confronting this heresy, who are you loving by doing it? Well, you're loving a lot of people. You're loving me, right? You're loving me, you're loving the church, you're loving yourself in a good way, but you're loving everyone that I will minister to for years to come. Does that make sense? And that's exactly what Aquila and Priscilla are doing, is they're having the audacity to go and to confront their teacher and to show them the way of God more accurately. You know, Gary right there, who speaks up plenty, keeps telling me that he's praying for a better pastor. And I say, please keep praying because you need a better pastor. You know, this challenges us in two fronts. One is that if you believe a teacher is out of line, whether it be me or your community group leader or your mom or your dad or anybody, not to run away, but to go to them with gentleness and humility and love and seek to explain the way of God to them more accurately. But the second way this challenges us is that all of us, to one degree or another, are teachers of God's Word. Whether it be in front of a large sanctuary or whether it be one-on-one with a child. And this encourages us to invite feedback from others. To invite others to speak into our lives, to tell us where we are out of line, either with our doctrine or with our life. And to receive that warmly, not only for the furthered of God's kingdom in our hearts, but to further God's kingdom in the world through our future ministry. We face an unfinished task in this great commission. And part of it is by facing unfinished teachers like me and like you with gentleness and love and respect to show them the truth and the beauty of the gospel. So we are called to face unfinished teachers, but we are also called to face unfinished beliefs. Look at 19 verse 1 with me. We'll read through verse 4. It says, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, so he already left Ephesus, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Again, that's kind of binity theology, just father, son. And he, Paul, said, into what were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. John's baptism 
and the baptism that Christ commands in the Great Commission are two very different baptisms. Even John the Baptist knows this. We read early on in Mark 1, verse 7, we read that John the Baptist preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Paul in Acts 19 says very clearly that, that, that the baptism of John is a baptism of repentance in which we confess our sins to God, but it's also a baptism of preparation, of looking forward to the Messiah, the Christ that is coming. But on the other hand, Jesus' baptism is a baptism of completion. Not only is there repentance, but there's faith and trust in looking to Christ. Is a baptism into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Is a baptism that represents the washing away of sin, the engrafting into Christ, being buried with him in your old man and raised to newness of life. And so they are two very different baptisms. Jesus' baptism is really the culmination of the hope that is expressed in John's baptism of the coming Messiah. And so let me explain the difference in this way. John's baptism would be like an engagement ring, right? So if someone gets engaged, you'll see it on Facebook. They'll be jumping in the air. They'll be smiling. They'll be happy. And they'll have an engagement ring. But this engagement ring is not the final ring. It is is a ring of anticipation, of looking forward to the wedding day when when the covenant commitments will be fully realized before one another. And so, so John's baptism is like the engagement ring, but Christ's baptism is like the wedding ring. In which, which the truth of, of what's being communicated in John's baptism is fully realized as the Christ comes and confirms the covenant and establishes the covenant of God's unconditional love for his people. Verse 5 continues. It says, On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, which is, which is some way to say also Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's one person in the Godhead. I'm sorry, three persons, one Godhead. There we go. Verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. As we look through the book of Acts, there are three times in which people start speaking in tongues. And if you've never heard this term, speaking in tongues, basically it's people speaking in another language, either an angelic language or in a foreign language that they're not familiar with. And we see this happen three times throughout the book of Acts. And what I have never noticed before that I noticed this time is that the occurrence of these speaking in tongues actually follows the great commission that Jesus proclaimed. You remember Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And he says, in Judea and Samaria. And he says, and to the uttermost ends of the earth. And so in Acts chapter 2, there's the first occurrence of the Holy Spirit manifesting itself and speaking of tongues at Pentecost. And so in this Pentecost, which happens in Jerusalem, it is evidence that the Holy Spirit has come upon the Jews. But then we fast forward to Judea and Samaria, the second, the second sphere of the Great Commission. And we see a Gentile Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes on non-Jews. And then we come to Acts 19. And we see at the uttermost ends of the earth, even in Ephesus, we see another visible expression that the Holy Spirit has come. And so you see the Great Commission playing out throughout the book of Acts in this. And in each situation, their speaking of tongues is immediate evidence that the Holy Spirit has come 
upon them. Now, there are, there are other ways that the Holy Spirit evidences itself. Not everybody will speak in tongues. Most commonly, the Holy Spirit evidences itself in what's called the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe you've heard of it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, right? Those are ways that the Holy Spirit evidences itself, but those are not immediate evidences, right? You can't, you can't look at a person and say, oh, look, they're more gentle now after three seconds of, of trusting in Christ, right? You, it needs time to prove that. But speaking in tongues is an immediate evidence that the Holy Spirit has filled these people. Now, just another quick side note is that we, we shouldn't make too much about the order of the baptism and the Holy Spirit coming. Throughout, throughout the book of Acts, what we see is is different timeline on this. Sometimes people believe and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, like at the first Pentecost, and then later they're baptized. Sometimes in this occasion, they're baptized and then the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And so there's, there's variety in the order of this. But what is common between all of them is that all Christians are filled with, with the Holy Spirit. A couple years ago, I can't remember if I told you this story recently, but a couple years ago, we were at Bayview Middle School, and a woman comes in, and she says, are you a spirit-filled church? And I remember thinking to myself, I sure hope we are, because if we're not a spirit-filled church, then we're actually not even a church at all, right? You see, to call someone a spirit-filled Christian is a redundant statement. Do you get that? A spirit-filled Christian is a redundant statement because all true Christians are spirit-filled and all spirit-filled people are truly Christians. And it may evidence itself in different ways, speaking in tongues, fruit of the Spirit, but the Spirit fills all that are in Christ. Now, what does this have to do with facing an unfinished belief? Well, if we look at this passage, we see that the Ephesians, before they became born-again Christians, that they were believing something, right? They believed something, and so they received John's baptism. Verse 2, Paul said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And then verse 4, Paul said, John baptized you with baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who has come after him, that is Jesus. And so these 12 Ephesian men believed in something. The people that John baptized believed in something. But it was an unfinished belief. It was a belief that they needed to repent, a belief that they needed to look forward to a Savior that's true. But it was an unfinished belief because they never landed that belief on Jesus Christ. And so Paul, facing their unfinished, deficient, incomplete faith, preaches to them Christ to complete their belief. You know, we live in Green Bay, and I think this text is so applicable to us. If we were to go around Green Bay, my guess is 80% of people, it's my guess, would say they believe there is a God. My guess is that 80% of people would say, we believe Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. They would say, we believe that he died on the cross and he rose on the third day. They would believe those things. But it could be that their belief is still incomplete, that it's still unfinished, because maybe they know these things in their head but they have not yet claimed them with their soul. They've never trusted them in their heart. Just this past week, I was having a conversation with a friend, and I asked him, why did Jesus die on the cross? And he said, Jesus died on the cross for sorry souls like me. And I said, amen. It's great. And as we continued the conversation, I asked him, I said, 
Are you ready to meet your maker? If God, if God called you tonight and he said, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And he said, well, I would tell him it's because I have worked hard to reconcile with every people that I have wronged. I said, no, like you, what did you just say a little bit ago? You said, Jesus died for sorry souls like us. The only reason why God would let us into heaven is because of Christ, not because of what you have done. And he says, no, it's because of what I have done, because I have sought to reconcile with those who I have offended. You see, my friend has this belief about God and Jesus and the cross, which is true, but it is incomplete. It is unfinished because his hope of heaven is not in that cross that he believes intellectually, but it is in himself. You have lots of friends, and maybe you are here today where you know that intellectually the truths of the gospel. You know that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for sins, and that he rose on the third day. But here's a better question. Do you believe this for yourself? Do you believe it's true for you? Do you believe that you do not have to earn God's love, that Christ accomplished it upon the cross. You know, it's so interesting as we, as we talk about the unfinished work of, of the Great Commission today, one word that has completely rung through my mind this week is the words of Jesus as he hung upon this cross. The final words that Jesus says, he says, it is finished. What is it that is finished? Your salvation is finished in the cross. You don't need to earn anything else. Jesus has completed the work of salvation on your behalf. And so, do you trust in Jesus? Do you not only believe that Jesus was the Son of God who died on the cross and rose again, but do you believe that he did it for you? Have you staked your life on it? We are called to finish our faith by surrendering completely to Christ and calling others to do the same. And so we are facing unfinished teachers. We are facing unfinished belief. And finally, we are facing an unfinished mission. Verse 8 says, And Paul entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And so there Paul is for three months, probably six or seven times a day. He's not just preaching, but he is reasoning. He's having conversations. He's interacting. He's, he's asking questions. He's answering questions for three months. Verse 9. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jew and Greek. Paul ministered in Ephesus for probably about three years. Three years encouraging people to consider the kingdom of God that was proclaimed by Christ. Encouraging them to consider Christ as their Savior. For three years, Paul interacted with people, and yet we know that it did not end at the end of those three years. As we'll read through the rest of the book of Acts, we will see until Paul dies, he's continuing this mission, this unfinished mission, to bring forth the good news of Jesus Christ into the world. Because Paul knew that this great commission was a task 
that would be unfinished in his lifetime. And so he continued to be faithful to it for the rest of his life. You know, there is a church planting network, a church planting movement that recognizes the unfinished task of fulfilling the Great Commission, of bringing Christ to all the nations. This, this, this network, this church planting network is called the Acts 29 Network. I'm sure many of you have heard of it. And even in its title, it, it's telling us that the Great Commission is unfinished. And you may say, how does Acts 29 tell us that the Great Commission is unfinished? Well, if you would really quick, flip over to Acts chapter 29. Raise your hand when you get there. Acts chapter 29, go ahead. You on? All right, all right. Some people already know the joke, right? Raise your hand. No hands. Why is there no Acts 29? Why do they call their... Acts ends in 28. Why would they possibly call this church planting movement Acts 29? Why would they call that? Because we are Acts 29. We are the continuation of the mission. We are the continuation of the story. We are called to finish this unfinished task or to continue in this unfinished task for the rest of our lives because we are the continuation of the story of Acts and of the Great Commission to take the good news of the gospel and to make disciples of all nations. Church, we do not retire from the work of gospel ministry. We only retire when we die or when Christ returns. The Great Commission is an unfinished mission that God calls all of us to until we are called home as long as Christ tarries. We have this unfinished mission that we must face together. In the 1930s, there was an Anglican bishop named Frank Houghton. And he was a missionary to China. And in a desire to call 200 more missionaries to China, he wrote a hymn. And the hymn was called Facing a Task Unfinished. The song was recently contemporized by Keith and Creston Getty in preparation for a Gospel Coalition Conference for Missions in 2013. And their hope was to awaken the church to the calling that God has given to us to continue in this unfinished mission, this unfinished task that God has given to us. Now in a little bit we're going to sing this song, but I know at least for me, when I'm singing, I'm often distracted thinking about the tune that I'm trying to carry or the people next to me or whatever's going on, what I have to do next. So I just want to take a moment to read you just a couple words from this song, and I want to let them marinate in you, okay? The song starts with this. It says, facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees. Does it drive you to your knees? A need that undiminished rebukes our slothful ease. We who rejoice to know thee, renew before thy throne the solemn pledge we owe thee to go and make thee known. We bear the torch that flaming fell from the hands of those who gave their lives proclaiming that Jesus died and rose. Ours is the same commission, the same glad message ours fired by the same ambition, to thee we yield our powers. And then this plea, from cowardice defend us, from lethargy awake, forth on thine errand send us, to labor for thy sake. And then the chorus, we go to all the world with kingdom hope unfurled. This term 
unfurled means to roll out, to spread out so the wind can catch it like a, like a sail, okay? We go to all the world with kingdom hope unfurled. No other name has power to save but Jesus Christ the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this mission you have given to us. We confess that so often we maybe sometimes see it as a burden, but it is a burden of great joy that you have included us in the redemption of your entire world. And Lord, we look forward to that day when you return and you say, it is complete, it is finished, I have redeemed all things, but until that time comes, Lord, we pray for your power and your grace to be faithful to this unfinished task of the Great Commission. Lord, as we, as we turn to your table, we're reminded of your grace. We're reminded of your love towards us in Christ. And God, we are not only reminded of these things, but we are strengthened for the mission that you call us to, Lord. That through your grace, you nourish our souls, God, which need it so desperately to go and to be faithful to the unfinished task of the gospel, of sharing it with the world who is waiting and wanting. May we do it by your grace and for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.